Hey, good morning, Amanda. Let's uh, give uh, other folks a few more minutes. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm going to get started. Uh, good morning, Amanda. Uh, good morning, the other guy. And uh, today is uh, September 11, September the 11th. And uh, it's a 20, year 2022. So for today, I'm just going to talk about uh, some recent news. And then I'm going to uh, invite Amanda uh, to chime in. And then I'm going to go on with uh, the main topic for today. 
And uh, well, if you're a football fan, uh, happy football day also, because uh, I do follow football. So I do this at 11 o'clock so that I can get off to watch the, my favorite teams. So the recent news is this, of course, is the Queen's passing uh, in Britain. And I know, I know a lot of people made a very personal attack against her. Uh, I'm not one of them, uh, even though I know what she represent as in her official capacity. But as a person, as a human being, I do believe she's a fine lady and uh, she did uh, her role uh, in tremendous grace and everything. And uh, so, so, however, I do want to mention this now. Uh, well, every time I talked about anything about Britain, uh, the one thing I learned recently is that this country called India, with now about 1.4 billion people, used to be called British Raj, R-A-J. I did not know that. In fact, I think the entire British Raj include Pakistan, Bangladesh, and some other countries, I believe, they're all together. They're all British colony. And uh, as a matter of fact, I think British ruled them for 200 years. If 30 years counts as one generation, 200 years is probably seven generation of people of India under British rule. The reason I brought this up is this. There has been, there's a huge news that the, the mainstream media will never talk about. Because as we know now, now, mainstream media is a part of this uh, military industrial complex, right? So recently, this major news is this, is between India and China. Because India and China had a, a small, uh, I would say, military conflict, even though there's no firearms involved, but there's a scores of soldiers died from a, some kind of a battle slash fight in the border area where there has been rules that no armies will be allowed to carry firearms in that region. And so there is a fist fight in the middle of the night and there's a, just a whole bunch of uh, commotions and many, many people died. I was, I'm gonna say 25 people on the Chinese side died, but I do not, don't hold me for that. But there's a, you know, literally it is a military to military conflict there. The reason I brought up is this, the, long, the mainstream media, I find out, has long been advocating uh, overt adversary between China and India. And I consider that is the conspiracy by the white Anglo-Saxon Western society. Because uh, there's all kinds of uh, really, really sick people. They are elitist. They, they really think very hard for their best for their best interest, not for, you know, other countries' people's interest. So basically, the mainstream media and the, these uh, people, they really would like to see a major conflict between China and India, a military one, meaning, I mean, shooting nuclear-tipped missiles with each other. And for the longest time, I was like, how stupid that could be? Because uh, if you know the geography, which I'm not an expert either, but between India and China, there is this huge mountain called uh, Mount Everest. This is like 8,000 feet uh, or meter, 8,000 meter, not feet, tall. It's a natural barrier between two gigantic and oldest civilizations. Now, first of all, how these two old 
civilizations with the widest, the deepest wisdom they both have would pick up an arm or nuclear weapons to shoot each other. They would have to do one thing to, to blow up, use nuclear bombs, that big mountain, because you simply cannot carry troops over that mountain that easily. Right? So nevertheless, I thought this is probably just a wet Western world's dream that the China and India will carry out a nuclear war, a massive war, because I think they, these Westerners, they have a very, very cynical idea in mind. Because by the way, these people can be environmentalists. They, they follow the same thought process of Adolf Hitler. They basically believe the earth has limited living space and we just have too many people. And the ideal thing will happen to them will be two large populations slaughter each other in total disregard of humanity. That's what these people think. So most recent story is this. This happened like two days ago. India-China has reached agreement that they will pull arms forces from this disputed border area for some kilometers or miles or whatever. So basically the purpose of that is that there will be no longer any military contact in this border area. It's not a true withdrawal. It's just, it's a separation and cessation of any hostility, which I find out is extremely encouraging. Now, if you think the mainstream media is for world peace, as they claim they are, they are not. They actually will never report this kind of progress in peace because of mainstream media as a profit-seeking organization, they want bloodshed. They want people get killed, murdered, mass shootings, great for ratings, white women missing or get, get killed by black, black men. These are just sensational, sensational stuff, right? So I don't consider them journalists. I, I, they're just a, a showbiz mouthpiece. So, so that I want to bring up for the reasons that, uh, as we know, India has uh, fought back against uh, Western accusation that they are buying Russia oil and uh, oil, uh, importing Russian grains and yada, yada, yada. The bottom line is this, the India finally, you know, stood up saying, F you, you know, we are a huge society, huge population, huge, huge potential. We need to take care of our own business, none of your business. Oh, by the way, what about some reparation for the 200 years of colonization of India, right? So from that perspective, in my opinion, the passing of the queen is actually a good thing for the lot of global South countries. Because I actually believe uh, Prince William, King Charles, and uh, especially this uh, uh, Prince Harry will be particularly more inclined to consider something, some remedy to be done by the British, by the British government to the former, to their formerly colonized countries. Because the misery of these countries, some of them, you know, Mr. Trump, the shithole countries, they're just they're truly devastated by the colonialistic policy.
said in the past. So I want to say the Queen's passing can change that. You know, going back to, I know King Charles is very big in um, climate change. The climate justice is a global justice, right? If the climate get to the point where human beings cannot live on this planet anymore, it is a global justice. It's a question of a global justice. I admit that and I agree with that. And I, I do believe we need to do something about the climate. But I would say reparation is also an issue of global justice. You cannot ask people who you are wronged for hundreds of years and ask them to work with you to deal with the climate change simply, simply because you wanted them to do so. That's exactly what you did to them. You do whatever you wanted to towards these people. And you are not holding yourself to be res responsible when something didn't work out. So, so that's that. And the second thing of uh, news I want to talk about is this uh, Chesa Bodine, because I watched him on the Katie Halper show. Now he is one. I mean, I like his. Uh, I follow him simply because of his mother. Basically, you know, I have said uh, in my past shows that uh, in the history of America, because of this. Uh, racial oppression or general governmental oppression against the people was so severe, the United States produced a number of uh, insurrectionists. I call them, there's a difference between a civil insurrectionist and a violent insurrectionist. Chesa Bodine's mother, I forgot her name, uh, uh, Dawn, I think it's her last name, uh, you know, belongs to those uh, violent, Insurrest, insurrest, like John Brown, who read the, you know, uh, is Harper's Ferry, I guess. You know, these people literally pick up the arms and be an insurrectionist. And I think I mentioned this guy who bombed the Oklahoma Federal Building, uh, Timothy McVeigh, another violent insurrectionist, because he was so upset with uh, uh, how the Fed uh, commandeered a uh, the Ruby Ridge uh, settlement of a particular, reportedly a white supremacist. So long story short, so I watched uh, him because he is doing something similar to what uh, Philadelphia's uh, DA doing uh, by the name of uh, Larry Krasner. So they want to do some, uh, you know, reform in criminal justice and all that. So I listened to him quite a bit. You know, as you all know, I'm a, I'm a dead in the middle, radical centrist. I don't, I don't pledge my allegiance to any politi politicians or politics, okay? So I will be critical of him. And this is why I've been critical of the left consistently. First of all, all these so-called criminal justice reform by these uh, DAs is unlawful because prosecutors in our democracy are not supposed to make laws. Their job, as defined by law, is to enforce the laws on the book. So the way I look at it is that, you know, these DAs come up with some gadgetry, novelty, like they will not ask for bail, even sometimes for violent crimes and all that. And they consider that to be a compensatory thing to do for the historic wrong that happened to the racial minority. I disagree with that. 
Like, yes, I understand your intention, but you still have to do it legally. Do it by the way our democracy is set up, right? That's my problem. You cannot break the law, not following the law in the name of, oh, I just want to do some criminal justice reform. That's the first thing. It's not sustainable, period. Every time you cannot, there's a wrong, you cannot use another wrong to correct the other wrong. It's just going to be back and forth. Bad. Second, you know, I heard about uh, we incarcerated too many people and blah, 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 mostly racial minority. I agree with that. And, uh, you know, the general solution, everybody's saying, oh, you know, we should just uh, take it easy on criminals, including violent criminals. I happen to, I don't necessarily agree with that. My problem with the criminal justice system is this. For the same crime white citizens committed, they can get away. That's the problem. That is the problem. I'll tell you why that's the problem. First of all, you do that, certainly the racial minority will be upset. Why you always locked us up? And when you guys did the same thing, right? So that's the problem. First, and then you, you, by doing this, this, this mode of operation basically will cause racial divides. Second is that because the whites can do the same crimes, such as the drug crimes, they can get away from it, then they're going to do more, right? So there's a strong need to go after the crimes equally, even-handedly. You may say, well, Peter, that's going to increase the population of our prison. I would say not necessarily, because you're going to show the society, no matter who you are, what skin color you are, you commit a crime, you're going to be enforced upon. Right? Right, so these uh, chair, uh, chairs of Bowden's uh, crowd, again, you know, I consider them elitist. They can be the white privileges, okay? These are, they'll say, oh, oh, I think, you know, they will just think, oh, the best idea is just release some criminals, especially if they, are, if they are racial minorities, or we will not ask for bond, a bail, and all that. That doesn't work. Nobody likes crimes. Even criminals do not like crimes. So your so-called criminal justice is, is gonna make things worse. Your criminal justice reform is only one thing. Arbitrarily release prisons, arbitrarily exercise your prosecutorial discretion not to prosecute violent crimes. For each violent crimes, there's always a victim. When, as a top law enforcement officer, you decide not to prosecute a violent crime, the victim will feel they're victimized twice, right? So, so much for your brand of a criminal justice reform. Because, like I said before, if you're a racial minority, I'll tell you that, don't ever rely on a white person to be that savior of your problem. You actually think about your problem on your own for yourself and provide solutions for yourself. Criminal justice reform is a racial minority issue. 
that you have to think it hard. You should not just blindly follow this uh, so-called you know new breed of uh, progressive, whatever you call them. No, I don't consider them progressive. Things worse. And the third, understand, because all these uh, progressive, all they talk about criminal justice reform, criminal justice reform. I actually one thing. What about the civil justice reform? Our civil justice system, or kosher, good with the minorities and all that? Probably not. I'll tell you, you know, I think I brought it up uh, a, uh, this up last, uh, last time. This guy, uh, chairman of the uh, African People's Socialist Party, he's holding his uh, interview. I think he does a press conference or interview with uh, Katie Halper that he said, he remember in the 60s, 1960s, he had to do some protest demonstration. So, you know, she get acquainted with this uh, a black lady. The, the, her main brief, uh, beef is this. She knows so many black Americans who bought life insurance from the life insurance company. But when they die, the life insurance company say, no, we're going to pay for Pay, pay you out on your life insurance policy. How in the world an insurance company dare to do that? Think about it. You know, if you're in a car accident, accident, you're fully insured, then you're black, you went to your Geico, your car insurance company, say, hey, my car got damaged, I was hurt, I need some insurance coverage. And the Geico said, no way, go F yourself. That's a civil matter. But how those injustice in the, the injustice that happened to the racial minorities in the civil justice system end up? They end up, they will just tell racial minorities, our justice system being civil or being criminal does not work for you. You're being treated as less of a human being, right? And all these, uh, quote, progressive, end quote, DAs, they don't give a shit about those. They should have known the root cause of all those criminal justice system problems. Too many people being locked up and all that is actually caused by just deep-rooted racial injustice in the civil justice system, period. Okay, education is another one. Education is totally a civil matter. The inequality, the racial divide in the education system in America, I would say is the driving force of crimes. Okay, I look at some of the California, uh, some video clips, which is broadcast all over the world, including China, saying, look, this is another American superstore, uh, I mean, uh, 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 department store being looted by a mob of teens. Does our civil justice system has anything to do with that? It's always civil first, criminal later. So, you know, with that said, you know, I think that's the pretty much the news update I want to 
I want, I, I, I want to do. So I'm going to invite Amanda. I know Amanda is a regular. I appreciate you coming up. And I want to invite her as a speaker. Hopefully I'm doing this correctly. Yes. Oh, thank you, Peter. I appreciate you. Can you hear me okay? Because I ne might need to turn off my Bluetooth. Is my sound okay? Oh, you, yes, you sound perfect. Oh, wonderful. I'm so glad this particular time it's working. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What a what a lovely what a lovely take on the on on the recent news. I appreciate that. Um, just a couple of things I want to say. Um, not pushback necessarily, but just kind of to add some context. No, no worries. Questions. You don't have to be polite with me. No, I, I totally uh, accept criticism. Go ahead. My my mother might disagree whether I should be polite with you or not. So I'm just going to be. Okay. How's that? <laughs> Um, I think you're you're right about corporate media, but I also want to acknowledge that part of the issue is the problem in journalism is mostly the non-print. When you have a print journalist, because that's what most of the new quote-unquote news gets their stories from, is the print journalists who actually do the investigations. You know, people like Aaron Marte. Mm -hmm. Yep. People like Matt Taibbi. Yes. That, so I don't want to paint a broad yep. brush that all journalism is bad. Those are the journalists Correct. we need. Right? Yep. Yeah. So yes, I just wanted I to add 100%. that. 100%. Yes. Um, absolutely. On on the victims of uh, on not prosecuting violent crime, I'm interested to see where you got that, what your source is for that, because that's not what I'm seeing, but I could be in a different okay. information bubble. So... And you don't have to give it right now, but I'm just interested. And then I also want to say um, part of the problem with the criminal justice system is the only thing it punishes, it seems like, is the kinds of crimes that poor people do. Wage yes. theft is one of the worst, best examples of, some, of, of breaking the law that does not get punished. Yes, and it's ridiculous. Yes. So, no, so let me step in here a little bit. Please. Uh, first, first of all, you're correct that uh, I will try to verify the source of my information because uh, I know the right, uh, the Fox News will always accuse folks like Chesa Bodine uh, that, oh, he is releasing violent criminal, yada, 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 right? Now, I know majority of those accusations from the right against Chesa Bodine is probably false. And I will take that. I accept that. My what I've just said about Chester Bodine and all those progressive uh, uh, DAs is this: they are not doing the right thing. What they are doing is just unsustainable. So going back to the, why don't you go after the white people who commit the same crime? Just drug problem is just a good example, right? We have this uh, Hunter Biden literally is consuming what kilos of uh, cocaine, right? Now I think I mentioned last time is that. Now it's confirmed, Ashley Biden, the daughter of Joe Biden from his second marriage, is a heroin addict. I learned that in 2016. Here's the thing. Joe Biden is the one behind the law to lock these people up. But how come the white person who's using drugs can get away? So that, in other words, I want these progressive DA saying, we have a law on the book. I'm going to go after white people too. 
Guess what? When that happened, marijuana will be legalized very soon. Because of the white people say, oh my God, goodness, the government's coming after me if I use drugs. I want to do something about this. It's unfair. So I'm going to have a march on Washington, D.C. I'm going to hold a bag of marijuana like I'm doing in the Vietnam War. And my father did in the Vietnam War, protest the government's law against marijuana. And the marijuana will not be a banned substance. So, so that, and the civil justice reform, nobody talks about it. Because like I said, you know, Malcolm X's father was killed by a mob of a white man, and his insurance company will refuse to pay. And you know what happened to the family? Devastating effect to Malcolm X. Maybe that's a good thing for our society, but personally for Malcolm X and his family being split up, that his mother being like totally went insane, that's the civil justice that never worked with the racial minorities. How, how come you ignore that? So it's very selective, right? You know, so, so that is uh, what I'm trying to say. But I agree with you that I would not buy into those uh, accusations from the right. Because, you know, like I said, the right is never an angel as far as I'm concerned. You know, they don't even have a good intention. <laughs> they don't even have a good intention, okay? The progressive, yeah, yeah. they have good you know, The right is just like, most of them, I would not say every one of them. I don't want to paint yeah. everyone with a, broad, oh, for sure. a brush, right? So, no, no, I mean, Tucker Carlson, out of 100 shows he will do, I would say I agree with him five to 10 of 100. The rest are just BS. You know, he, it's a sad to see Tucker Carlson uh, uh, because I actually believe he tried to brand himself as like uh, this guy, William F. Uh, Buckley. Um. But he soon turned in, into this just totally argumentative. I mean, I have never seen a white person so handsome, so good looking, and so well educated to be so bitter every day. You know, I thought in the, the older days, and not too old, 30 years ago, you know, the, the saying is that every time you see a black woman, her face is always angry. These days, every time you see Tucker Carlson, he really had, has a smile on his face. It's like he's, he's, he himself and his race is totally wrong by the entire government. I was like, come on, it's not that bad. Maybe, though, can I just push back? I'm not a Tucker fan, okay? So sure. I'm going to put mm -hmm. that on the outset. And I think you probably know that I lean progressive from the radical left. So mm -hmm. so um, I just a little bit here on, on I think that... Um, I'm sorry, I just, I just lost my train of thought because I'm not a big fan of... Oh, he's smart. And he's good looking, but he doesn't ever look happy. So one of the things that I know about myself, when I had a job where I had very little autonomy, like I didn't get to pick what I did, maybe part of what, why he's unhappy is he doesn't particularly want to cover the stories he's covering, but because that's where the money is, that's what he's doing. So his internal what he wants to do is not matching what the external requires of him. And that could mm -hmm. be part of it. Part of it is, too, that he's just a miserable person that focuses on all kinds of negative things all the time. How are you going to be happy when you do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I mean, so I just think he he is unnecessarily angry. And I just just relax a little bit. You know, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I wish I, he would. Like I wish he would above, talk about above it. Above the fray. Yeah, yeah. I just like be above the fray. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, come on, you make a lot of money, you know, you're handsome. 
you have a lot of followers, just relax a little bit, you know, because every time, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it just could be, you know, a lot of people, you know, they say they, they hate Trump supporters and yada, yada, yada. I was like, just relax, you know, because you look at the Trump okay. supporters, you just look at their demographics, right? This, they're not going to be a threat for too much long because you, they are usually white, older, and male. It all looks like they have some health problems. Just lo looking at you know on YouTube or those because uh, I do follow uh, 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 your called a right wing channel. It's called the right side broadcasting. I follow it. I do, and uh, you know I just look at you know. I mean, of course, again, I'm not painting people with a broad brush. I just think you know the core supporter of Donald Trump is going to die away in the next ten to fifteen years. Oh, and I hope so. They, they cannot do much. You know, I mean, again, it's, a, it's not like I wish them a bad, it's not like I have a bad wish for them. It's just like with uh, Queen Elizabeth. No, I don't hate her per se, you know, as a person. So can I offer I a hypothesis that. about Tucker? He's a smart entertainer. And I'm just going to take your word on that because I don't watch him enough to know how smart he seems or not, right? If he's smart mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then and, and wants to build audience, you know, there's a heck of a lot of people I know from personal experience because I am a woman. So this happens to me more frequently than probably people realize it happens to women. People want to mm -hmm. rescue people. People want to rescue people when they're mm -hmm. in a bad mood. You see your one of your friends is in a bad mood. You're like, what's wrong? You want to give them attention. You want to calm them down. Maybe that anger mm -hmm. and that attitude is part of how he's trying to hook his audience because if you start caring about the fact that he's angry, maybe you don't want him to be so angry. Now you're paying attention to him, and now you're invested mm -hmm. in what he does. So it could be mm -hmm. that he's being crafty with that attitude. Just want to put it out there. I'll let you go on with your oh, main yeah. oh. subject. I appreciate you, Peter. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. No, you're, you're correct. That uh, you know, uh, again, I, uh, probably he intentionally did it that way, just just to rile people up. Because I almost, for this uh, uh, call-in uh, platform, I almost want to go ahead and make a show called The Untucker Tonight. <laughs> Basically, just untucker yourself. <laughs> yeah. Don't get so yeah, right yeah. up by this guy, right? But then again, you know, I find out just doing this thing weekly is, uh, you know, putting a lot of uh, a burden on me time-wise to research for material and yada, yada, yada. So I said, okay, I'll give up. <laughs> I probably just show up in, uh, one day, show up in your show, man, Amanda. To talk about this. <laughs> talk about Tucker. Yeah. That's fair. You're allowed. Yeah, exactly. You're entitled. You can come. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're welcome. You're welcome on my show anytime, Peter. Thank you. And Appreciate I don't want to give Tucker okay, too much credit because maybe he isn't smart enough to be that crafty. I just wanted to pose it as a possibility. Well, he, he has a team behind him, right? So so it's unlike me, right? <laughs> I'm just doing all this research myself. <laughs> me and the Google. You don't have so. a team? It does not show. I'll tell you that, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to what you mentioned about Aaron Mate, I'm totally for alternative media. That's exactly why I'm doing this, right? Nobody is going to criticize the court. In fact, as I have said long before, uh, always, the Bar Association in this country is a capitalist trade union. Their job is to make more, not, more money, not to make this society more just and more peaceful. But I have said that. So at the same time, the Bar Association, the law school and all that, they are all part of the machine. They are going to publish all kinds of a complimentary 
articles, journals, histories, and all that to praise our justice system, where in reality, by the sheer statistics, we are probably the worst. By worst, I mean we spend, this country spend the most money, made the most laws, criminal laws, lock up the most people, and probably is one of the unsafest country, you know, on this planet. You know, I have read recently the, the, the China's, uh, uh, the average lifespan in China is 78 years old. I cannot believe my ears. I, I don't even believe I can live to 78. Right, okay, and I just cannot believe that America is going down this fast. Two years in a row, the average lifespan in America has decreased. You know, thanks to a lot of things, right? Gun violence and a bunch of other things. So now I'm going to go back to this topic because, uh, like I said, no one's going to tell you this uh, because uh, you know they all work for the bar association for the court. Their job is to make sure you still believe in this thing called the blindfolded lady justice. You know, they, 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 they do because that's how they make money off you. All right. So today's episode is, you know, kind of a continuation of this way that Trump is a victim of white, white privilege. You know, he himself probably is the biggest beneficiary of white privilege. But, you know, I've said in the past two episodes, he's also the victim. You know, I call it the chicken come to the roost. So I want to talk about, I mentioned all of this before, today's 9-11. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh boy, since 9-11, uh, you know, George W. Bush had this uh, Patriot Act. And then, you know, we have, he established this thing called the Homeland Security. Oh, by the way, the Office of the Homeland Security, I think both this uh, progressive AOC and I believe a conservative, I think it's probably a Marjorie Green Taylor or someone else, is calling for a, a, a abolishment of a Homeland Security Department. I totally agree. And, uh, you know, Homeland Security Department is similar to the war in Afghanistan. It's a total react, uh, knee-jerk re reaction by a fake Texan. Because <laughs> I believe George W. Bush, by the way, I, I like George W. Bush personally. I owe a personal debt to the George... W uh, Bush families and all that. So, but his policy, I mean, his reaction is a knee-jerk reaction. So going back to a lot of people saying, oh, 9-11, you know, is the origin of this deep state thing. And uh, we have a lot of, uh, you know, national security agencies got established after that. And, uh, and uh, we start surveilling people and yada, yada, yada. Right? So actually I want to educate the public. That's not the case. As my past episode has said, this is a deep state concept actually comes, uh, this is a deep state authority came actually from the Second World War, uh, from the internment of the Japanese Americans. So I did not know until recently, and this is and the, and the, the majority opinion of this case, uh, the internment case called the Korematsu. You know, you can Google that, uh, you know, all, everybody's criticized this uh, decision, you know, similar like Dobbs decision recently. However, that Korematsu decision actually is the where it started, the authority for the deep state. What's a deep state? They, the way I call it is this. The deep state, I would say legally can be called the administrative state 
of national security. Let me repeat, the administrative state of national security. This term will tell you, first, it's a bureaucracy. It's called administrative. They're not elected, okay? They're just administrators. Second, they, are, they call themselves intelligence communities. There's a whole bunch of them. There's a whole bunch of alphabet agencies in charge of the national security, okay? So, so, so they're not elected. And, and so, so this whole deep state goes back to that Korematsu decision. What happened to that Korematsu decision is this. It's still applicable today. We have a war going on. The empire of Japan dropped bombs in Hawaii. And the president, the Congress declared war against Japan, Germany, Italy. And the president said, well, I have a concern. All these Japanese living in the West Coast, they can be Japanese spies. And I have a problem with that. So he, the president, actually he's pretty uh, you know, good with the following law. He went to the Congress. Say, Congress, please approve, a, uh, please make a law allowing me to issue military orders for the war efforts. The Congress says, sure. So I think the House debated this uh, law. Uh, I think this is a public law 503. They, the, the, the House debated for like one and a half hour and the Senate debated like 20 minutes. And they say, here it is, Mr. President. You want this, you got it. So President Franklin Roosevelt immediately signed a military order saying all Japanese must be interned. That caused a lot of commotion, yada, yada, yada. I'm not gonna go through that. The quick thing, uh, the quick part is this. So this Japanese American, Fred Korematsu, who changed his name to, a, uh, to a, like a Hispanic name, who also did a plastic surgery to make himself to be more Spanish looking, uh, Hispanics looking, he got caught by the FBI. The, uh, the FBI asked him, how come you are not following the military order? And uh, then this guy, Fred Korimazu, used his fake name. He has an Italian girlfriend, made up whatever story. But end up, he ended up still being locked up. So he appealed to the US Supreme Court. So here is where the whole deep state authority came from. Internment of all these Japanese, just in plain view, we, every, a, a common person will know, a common man, you don't need to be on the US Supreme Court. You will know this is a racial discrimination, right? Out of the nine justices on the Supreme Court at that time, three has dissented saying this is a pure dis racial discrimination, should not be allowed. So I wanna tell you what the other six did. They did it very cleverly. Like I said, it's a judicial white privilege, meaning that these are well-educated people. They did it very similar to Dred Scott. In Dred Scott, the decision by the court is not about whether he should be slave or not. The Dred Scott's decision is saying, Dred Scott, you are a slave, so by the law, you have no standing to bring a lawsuit in the federal court. Standing meaning you have to be a citizen of the United States to make your complaint be heard by a court. If you are not a US citizen, the court has no business to do with you. 
in Korematsu, there's six majorities this. They vaguely, also vaguely, they passingly acknowledge, yes, this is a racial discrimination. But guess what? The president is the commander in chief. He has to do whatever he has to do. We therefore is not going to hear anything about your complaint about something called a racial discrimination. Be there is a discrimination not not of our business because the president is the commander chief. He has a national security emergency. He has to do what he has to do. That is the decision. That decision did not say whether this is this racial discrimination or not. It's just saying every executive branch, when they say we have a national security problem, we must follow them. As I mentioned in the past episode, it's called let the constitution follow the flag, not the flag follow the constitution. As you can imagine, it's pretty wrong because the flag is just a symbol of a country. The constitution is the supreme law governing the conduct of the government and governing the conduct of people, right? So that is a very profound decision, meaning that as long as the national security people come to my court saying there's an emergency, I'm not going to hear anything else. The national security people can get whatever they want. Just remember that, keep that in mind. Now, before I move forward, I want you to have a you know scenario in your brain, okay? It's a little bit of uh, you know, this, I call the constitutional foundation in support of the deep state. It's a very oxymoronic concept. That, I'll tell you why, when it comes to democracy. Because our democracy is founded on a strong belief, and this will never change, is that only the civilians is to control the military. So let me repeat, the founding principle of our country, one of them is that it's civilians control the military. The president is the commander in chief. He is elected by the people, not by a group of soldiers, yada, 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 right? And second is this, if there is a, such a emergency military, say we you know will be attacked, the United States is, will be attacked tomorrow by Russia and China with the nuclear weapons, it's quite urgent, right? And there's a need to have a total command and control by the president, right? What you can do under that situation? Can you say, oh, you have to do this, uh, go through the court to get approved? No, you don't need to do that. The president, I'm pretty sure, maybe you need to get the Congress to help with this, is that the president can declare something called martial law. Martial is the word itself, it's called the military meaning that the military authority is taking over the entire country, right? But our country has rarely get into that mode of martial laws. We saw a lot of banana countries went through that, right? Not, the, not us. So in general, generally speaking, if there's no martial laws that declared in this country, the civil courts, the courts still have to operate and have to function as a court. Every single thing still, if it's not kosher under the law, still have to go through the court. Now that's, you will think, as a common man, you know, you're going to think, 
that's the normal way of doing it because that's the principle that civilians almost always have the complete control of the military, of the CIA, right? Of the Pentagon and all that. So the Korematsu decision, the majority opinion changed that. Basically saying, well, if the president, the commander in chief coming for us saying there's a national security emergency, we must give him whatever he's asking. But that forms the constitutional foundation of the deep state. Meaning as long as you're saying, hey, we have foreign enemy attacking us, I have to do something, you, you, the court, you, the people, the public, the mainstream media, alternative media, YouTubers, you all have to agree with me. Otherwise, you're messing with the intelligence communities, the deep state, and you're going to pay for it. Most importantly, you will label, we will label you, the deep state will label you an unpatriotic American. So that is the narrative. So because that, the 911, the, the, the September 11 never did not create a deep state. Deep state already existed since the Korematsu decision was handed down. So, you know, before I move forward, you know, I, you know, I want to say, you know, so the initial, the, the initial at the start, the deep state, in this case, the US military, really take a pretty good beating against Japanese Americans, right? At least 120,000 of them. So I would say the deep state has always been the oppressor. You know, uh, you know, in this uh, unjust legal system or the government, whatever you call it. Okay. So, so I, I want to, you know, quickly run by, you know, since Korematsu, which happened in 1944, a lot had happened. I'm going to go to, you know, J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, which is a total deep state. And, and uh, but before I do that, uh, I got callers in the past asking me uh, the uh, asking me this is that is there you know uh, they, he asked me how do I think about Justice Clarence Thomas okay so I did not uh, I told him that I actually did not read enough of his opinions so I do not have any evaluation of him but I know why that caller is asking me he wants me to say Clarence Thomas was the Uncle Tom in this whole judicial white privilege thing. Okay, I don't have enough evidence to say that. But I, I want to talk about quickly about the, the Uncle Toms in the deep state. Because you will think the deep state, you, you know, yes, it's true that the deep state, uh, you look at the TV screen, most of them are white Anglo-Saxon male. Okay, so there's no doubt about that. Uh, can I, before, I you, want to bring, before you move sure. on to that, mm -hmm. Peter, before mm -hmm. you move on to that, mm -hmm. I just want to make an important distinction that really made a difference for me. Because I learned about the Japanese internment when I was in high school in the 1980s. But I didn't realize mm -hmm. it's, it was actually American citizens of Japanese heritage. And so saying Japanese Correct. Americans rather than just Japanese... I think makes a difference. Yes. So I just wanted to put that in there. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I will go back and listen. No, no, you know, you're, you're perfect. No, you're perfect, Amanda. I'll tell you why, because I'm going to go to that point uh, very quickly. Okay. So 
because I want to tell you the legal status of these uh, in, uh, Japanese internees. It's horrible, which I'm going to tell you why, how, why it's horrible. I'm going to use Mark, uh, uh, MLK as another example. A horrible, horrible situation. I call them victims of, a deep, of the deep state. These are really the victims of the deep state, okay? So I want to quickly talk about this uh, Uncle Tom's in the deep state. There's more reason. Uncle Tom number one is Colin Powell. Colin Powell definitely is a Uncle Tom. He served in Vietnam. And uh, I have uh, seen some of his language you know, that I can tell that he is the beneficiary of this uh, you know, uh, white majoritarian democracy. So you know he will be the house slaves. You know he he got a nice uh, you know spot inside the house, so he can care less. So Colin Powell is one of the un uncle Uncle Tom in the in the in the deep state. I will say Condor Lisa Rice is also a Uncle Tom. I know she you know she's a woman. And uh, the, and even though with these two guys they are not lawyers, so I will not going to hold them too accountable, right? Because they are just operatives in the national, in the administrative state of a national security. This they decide where to go to war and what to do, yada, 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 right? So here's two guys who are really Uncle Tom. One is Alberto Gonzalez. Anyone knows Alberto Gonzalez? He is the attorney general for George W. Bush. I'll tell you why he is uh, Uncle Tom. Alberto Gonzalez is one of the White House officials who went to the hospital where then the Attorney General John Ashcroft refused to sign the NSA surveillance without warrant against Americans. Alberto Gonzalez went there, basically just tried to force Attorney General Ashcroft calling him that, look, the president sent us here. We know you're sick. You just went to a surgery or you just came back from surgery. You're weak, but this really needs to be signed before we can continue to surveil the Americans. That's Alberto Gonzalez, the uncle son of the deep state. Now comes the worst, John Yu. Zhang Yu, Y-O-O, is currently a professor in, uh, in one of the California, University of California Law School, a frequent guest on Fox News, okay? He's the worst. He actually is a born and raised in where I am now, in Philadelphia area. Zhang Yu, if, in case you don't know, he's the one who authored a torture memo, a surveillance memo, and another one is called the Enemy Combatant in the United States Memo. Three memos, it's a legal memo. Uh, but, by the way, Alberto Gonzalez is a White House counsel when he went to see A.G. Ashcroft, asking him to sign up to continue to surveil Americans. Okay, he later, Alberto Gonzalez, became the Attorney General of the United States. Okay, so he, he, he's a legal guy, that's why, you know, I hold this, these kind of guys more accountable because they are educated in law. They should know better. So John E., first of all, he wrote a, this a legal opinion by the Office of Legal Counsel of the Department of Justice 
this office is the legal authority within the DOJ. They give directives, advisories, what is lawful, what is not. Okay. So John, you have these three memos. The first one is that it is okay to surveil Americans without warrant. Second one is called the torture memo. He said it is okay for the deep state to torture people outside the United States, I'm pretty sure. Now, I'm not gonna go into detail. The third one is related to internment of the Japanese Americans. The internment happened in 1944. When Zhang Yu wrote that memo about uh, the president's authority to send the military forces to lock up terrorists within the United States, he wrote a memo about what is legal to do that, to have a president, to send the military, to go to someone's home in the United States without a warrant, treating that person as a terrorist and get him arrested. He wrote a memo on that. And he said, yes, it is legal to do that because he said, these people should be considered enemy combatants. Now I'm going to go back to Korematsu. Again, I'm trying to get the legal stats of exactly what these people should be. Now imagine this word, refugee. War is hell. Hell produces refugees. When we have a Second World War, we have a Jewish refugees. When we have a Korean War, we have Korean refugees. When we have a, the Vietnam War, there's a Vietnam War refugees, the Vietnamese refugees, right? And uh, we, if we launch wars in, uh, in uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, look at Iraqi refugees, Afghanistani refugees, right? The most recent is the Ukrainian war. Every time, I'm not saying the US is responsible for all these wars, but some may say we are, but I'm saying when there's a war, there's refugees. Now let's look at these Japanese Americans. They did not commit a crime. If they commit a crime, they will be locked up in a place called the county jail, right? That's where the criminal stays. If they commit a federal crime, they will go to something called a federal penitentiary, a penitentiary. There's a federal facilities to lock up criminals. They're not. They're internment camp. What is that? Exactly how the US government has treated them. This go back to, not go back, fast forward to Jiang Yu. What Jiang Yu said, I'm pretty sure he probably pretty much based the, uh, his opinion also on the Korematsu decision is that is that uh, is that Japanese Americans actually were treated by the president as enemy combatants or enemy spies. For these people, they actually don't need to have a crime. They are enemy combatants. But in reality, you think about this: how many of these 120 Japanese Americans? really give a F about the empire of Japan and all that. They probably don't. They have long left Japan. Most of them are second generation, US citizens and all that, right? I mean, they know they are in a very inconvenient circumstances. 
But to say they are all gung-ho to going to fight America and spy for Japan, it's ludicrous. But they were, all of them, were treated as enemy combatants. And here's my question, okay? Because these are not every, ever taught in the United States. If a Jewish people, knowing that Hitler is going to send them to the gas chamber, are they allowed to leave Germany, the Nazi Germany, as a refugee? I'm going to say probably they were allowed. Because I know tons of, tens of thousands of Jewish refugees left Europe in total. They don't want to be part of the war. War is hell. These are war refugees. Being a war refugee is a natural right of a person. I'm, I'm talking about this for a reason also. I'm, I have Chinese as a, my national origin. I don't, I don't want a war with anyone. But I'm concerned. Would I be treated as, a, as an enemy combatant by the United States government, by the deep state, where I really should be treated as a war refugee, being allowed to leave the country to a neutral country where I have no part, I have no interest fighting any war for any reason. So now going back to this. So remember, the Kori Matsu literally saying, we don't know who you are, but we know who you are, and we know what the president is worrying about. The president is the commander-in-chief. We have a national security needs. Don't even bring up your complaint. We're not going to listen to it. That sets up the wheel in motion. So every time, you know, so the FBI will have a, you know, FBI no longer need to be just a law enforcement. FBI is a counterintelligence agency, just like CIA. The only difference is the CIA do it overseas, the FBI counterintelligence do it inside this country. And they have the broadest deep state authority. It's called the National Security Authority. So I'm going to get to, you know, so, 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 so with that said, it's a, it's a sad commentary these days that U.S. really have became a nation controlled by the military industrial comp, uh, uh, complex because uh, the national security is always, you know, trumps everything, trumps all laws, right? As long as they say it's a national security, nothing is going to be said by the court. The court said, okay, go ahead, do whatever you need to do. So now I'm going to talk about the MLK and Donald Trump. This judge, Lalo in the left, criticized her being appointed by Trump. Eileen Cannon have issued a order appoint, uh, arranging appointment of a special master for the documents seized at the Trump residence. She has to use the word this. She believes there is already reputational harm to Trump. Of course, tons of the left, people from the left, bash her, yada, 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 okay? Okay, so I'm going to, you know, go back in the past episode I did when I first heard about our logo raid. I've said, A.G. Merrick Garland made the dumbest mistake in his entire life to conduct this raid. And, uh, you know, and I said, there will be a fight back. There will be a 
huge fight back. And it's going to make Donald Trump the national hero against the deep state. So now the sign is showing up. First of all, Judge Aline Cannon said, no, 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 I'm going to appoint a special master. And the government has said, well, we cannot really wait. You're delaying our, our, our investigation and prosecution. And the, by the way, Your Honor, this is a national security matter. If you don't agree with us, you're a traitor. You're an American. You are a Trump, you know, sycophant, whatever. But Trump already got what he wanted. He put a serious break on this thing. And as soon as the special master come out with any document that should have never been seized, Trump will use that. See, look, these deep state people, they are totally are criminals. Trump will say that. And this will be a very, it will be a very effective strategy because guess what? Both the left and the right had a bad taste in their mouth about the deep state. So were the judge correct? Eileen Cannon says there is a reputational harm to Donald Trump. Yes, because I'm going to go to J. Edgar Hoover's counterintelligence operation. It's called the COINTEL Pro, right? COINTEL Pro, it's pretty famous. Here's, I'm going to talk about, you know, this is a thing. It's my opinion. I have to get me wrong about this, but, you know, only if you are searched by FBI, you will feel this way is that the deep state actually are the criminals against the democracy, against the government, against the people of the United States. They are criminals, okay? So I'm gonna go back to this Go Intel Pro. J. Edgar Hoover had a suspicion that MLK is a communist or he's, he's working, he was working with a communist. So he placed a different investigative things on him. One of them is taping He's a phone attacking his phone conversations and uh, and also bugging his hotel rooms, right? All those are, I don't think he even have a warrant. Again, you don't need a warrant. It's a counterintelligence, the NSA surveillance. Again, back to this John Yu, the Uncle Tom, the biggest Uncle Tom of the deep state. Uh, he said, NSA surveillance is entirely okay. We're not surveying American people. We're surveying terrorists. So J. Edgar Hoover before Jiang Yu already did it. J. Edgar Hoover knows. The court has always said, if it's a national security, don't worry about it, go ahead and do it. So he bugged MLK's room. So here's what happened. I'm gonna read off this uh, political article. 50 years after, uh, this article is published in 19, uh, 2019, uh, three years ago. He said, 50 years after the FBI ended the Co-Intel Pro, he published reports, summarized the Bureau's audio surveillance of King. The public, the, again, the FBI published this. The public learned that King was, King was present in a hotel room when a friend of his, Baltimore pastor Logan Curse, raped a woman who resisted participating in an unspecified sexual acts. The FBI agent, in my opinion, a spy and a criminal who surveilled the hotel room, asserted that King looked on, laughed, and offered advice 
to the rapist. The original surveillance tapes remain sealed according to a judge of the court until 2027. 2027 is five years from today. So here's my take on this. Okay, of course, this you know sent a pretty shock wave to the public. So FBI counterintelligence is a spy agency. It broke the law. The spies broke the law. He made the tapes, and he kept the tapes as the fruit of his crime. And now, 50 years later, made a devastating accusation against the king. By now, MLK is twice violated by the counterintelligence. For first, he was surveilled without warrant by the FBI. Now he's dead, but even to defend himself and his reputation, right? We are all going to believe in this FBI agent now that King is a part of a conspiracy of a raping a woman. So, so there is a reputational harm when a criminal gets to in your house and steal shit and use those shit to harm reputation. If that person, that spy is a private person, you probably can shoot him with your gun under the second amendment. You probably can call the police to have him arrested and prosecuted. But when the steep state does it, it's okay. Who allows that? The, U the Supreme Court of the United States. So the, when the deep state become, become to having a habit of breaking laws, like what J. Edgar Hoover did, to MLK, and they're still enjoying the fruits of their crime. What is the remedy? Where you can have your grievances addressed? So far, you don't. Who set it up? The Supreme Court. So you will say, oh, Peter, this something happened 50 years ago, you know, it's not going to happen again, you know that. Guess what? Like I said, this judge, Arlene Cannon, already specifically said, whatever FBI did among ago has caused reputational harm. Therefore, she did this as a relief for Trump. Okay? Now, you'll say, oh, Peter, you're too supportive of Trump. No, I'm not. Like I said in my past episode, I strongly believe he should be prosecuted for January 6th, plain and simple. You know, it does not prevent him from running for the president, see, again. But by doing what the FBI did to the Mar-a-Lago, it break the whole thing up. So it's going to be a mess. So, but however, I want to say this. There's another case. I'm talking about Chinese case now. It's also very similar to what happened to MLK and Donald Trump. So here in Philadelphia, there's a university called the Temple University uh, in North Philly. And uh, there is a Chinese uh, professor from China. He will be just like me, age-wise, you know, life, life experience-wise and all that. He came to America, he became a naturalized citizen. 
He is the chair professor of the physics department of Temple University. So in 2015, he was arrested and charged. This is before Donald Trump's China initiative, when Donald Trump pretty much rounded up anyone who does anything with China. So this is before under Obama's presidency, okay? So Professor Xi, XI, he was arrested and charged for economic espionage because he's doing something and is sending some material to his Chinese colleagues or colleagues in China about a superconductor uh, heater. I'm not in physics, so I have no clue what it is. But anyway, the IPI said that's the, you know, that, that that's some items prohibited to be shared with the Chinese entities. And he was uh, arrested. Uh, by the way, you know, as you can imagine, they did the same thing. The FBI did to him the same thing they did to me. But about five o'clock in the morning, uh, he has uh, he and his wife and the two daughters was uh, sleeping. Were sleeping. The FBI bust the door and get him arrested. You know, and yada yada yada. You know, just some shitty stuff. Similar to the to what FBI did to this uh, chairman Yashitela of the African People's Socialist Party. Long story short. The FBI and the DOJ had to drop the charges against him about five months later and saying they made a mistake. And here comes the catch, which I can never understand. Professor Xi later said, find out, he was surveilled by NSA since 2010, five years before he was arrested. So you think about these uh, FBI counterintelligence and how dumb these people are. They got a hold of a Professor Xi's email without a warrant five years ago in 2010. After all this five years effort, get him arrested and then find out they made a mistake and they dropped the charge five months later. How dumb is that? So the, the, these counterintelligence, they're not smartest people, okay? They're pretty dumb. So here's comes the deal. So in 2017, about two years later, whatever happened to him and his wife and his two daughters, again, it's no fun to be searched in the middle of the night, arrested by the FBI, he filed a lawsuit. That's in Philadelphia. In 2017, he filed a lawsuit in Philadelphia. Today is 2022. So it's 12 years after Professor Xi was surveilled without a warrant, and he's still fighting for his justice. Okay, so, you know, I remember there's a movie called The 12 Years of Slave, talking about a free black man being kidnapped to the South. Think about the, 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 the speed of justice for racial minorities, 12 years of being slaves. All he did is trying to get all the paperwork to go to the so that he can go to the court showing he's a free black to start with. He was kidnapped. So in this case, in Xi's case, he is still pending in the Third Circuit Court of Appeal because the lower court dismissed nine out of 10 claims he sought for compensation from the FBI. So I'm going to read the lower court's decision why the court dismissed his case, nine out of 10. Before I do that, 
Just a quick explanation. When a local cop wrongfully arrested you, you can sue him in the federal court. I think the law is called the USC 1983, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. However, if a federal agent, a FBI, a, a, law, a federal narcotics agent, wrongfully arrested you or shoot you, whatever, you can sue him under a, 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 a something, not under a law, it's something called a Bivens action, B-I-V-E-N-S. What happened to Bivens is this. It's a from a case in New York, in Brooklyn, New York. A drug enforcement agency raided Mr. Bivens' house in the middle of the night out of a total misidentification. So Mr. Piven sued the law, the drug enforcement officials. And the lower court dismissed his claim saying, there's no federal law allow a citizen to go after federal police. There's just no law saying you can, you're allowed. The federal police can do whatever they want with you. You cannot. The Supreme Court at that time disagreed. They, they say there'd be a remedy for that. So it's called the Bivens remedy, meaning that if a U.S. government military truck, uh, oh, no, that actually is not a good example. There's another law giving you that it's called the FTCA law. But Bivens action specifically, specifically is for federal law enforcement, including the FBI. If they did something wrong to you, you can sue them for damages under this so-called Bivens remedy. So what happened to Mr. Biven is almost identical to what happened to Mr. Sh uh, Professor Shi. In Biven's case, the DEA, the narcotics enforcement agent, totally misidentified the location. I believe that's what I remember. The house they're supposed to search. They got the wrong house. They got the wrong person. In Professor Xi's case, the FBI and the DOJ got the entire thing wrong. She, Professor Xi, did send some pictures and materials about a particular item he worked on. But that item has no military use whatsoever. It's a civilian device, period. Again, after five years of surveillance without warrant, the FBI did not know that. So Professor Xi clearly sued the FBI under this remedy called the Bivens uh, uh, remedy. The district court denied Xi's claim. And I'm going to read just a little verbiage from the lower court, which resemble exactly what Korematsu Supreme Court did in 1994. So here's what the court says. She's claims involve an investigation conducted pursuant to an executive branch multi-agency effort to prevent international economic espionage. Accordingly, we are compelled to conclude that the adjudication of she's claims would oppose a risk of a disruptive judicial intrusion into that effort, period. So the, what, what lower court did is the follow exactly what Korematsu court says. The executive branch of the government 
has a multi-agency effort for internment is FBI and the U.S. military. For Professor Xi, it's a NSA for surveillance, FBI do other counterintelligence things. It's a multi-agency effort to prevent international economic espionage. Very politely written. That's all what usually the, a white privilege will do. They are very polite. They don't say it's a Chinese economic espionage. That can be viewed as a little bit uh, racially discriminating. They will call that preventing international economic espionage, as if there's another country were involved. There's not. So they say, accordingly, because the government, the deep state, is preventing Chinese espionage, uh, economic espionage, accordingly, we, the court, are compelled to say, we should not get involved. We should not allow you to go out for your compensatory damages for compensation for all the mess the FBI did to you. Because if we do that, we're disrupting the national security operation. So bingo, you have it. That's the deep state's power endowed by the US Supreme Court all the way back to Korematsu. So with that said, think about Trump now. Is there reputational damages? In my prior episode, I've said, Mary Garland's personally sign off the search warrant. Uh, not sign off, just personally approve the search. And if they go to the court to get approval. The FBI, Christopher Ray also signed it off. On that signed off affidavit, they are accusing Trump being in violation of the Espionage Act, meaning that Trump is keeping those documents for the purpose of giving it to a foreign nation that are enemies of the United States. That is a national security risk, right? That basically is accusing Trump to be a spy for the enemy. That's similar to what happened to MLK and similar to what happened to Professor Xi. Is that a reputational harm? I would say yes. I would say yes. I would say yes. Okay, so Trump is no angel in this, right? As we already know, Trump has seriously considered, by advised by his attorney, Sidney Powell, and the national security expert, Michael Flynn, and another well-known lawyer called John Eastman, that these three people actually talked to Donald Trump, say, let's use the national security power to seize the voting machines so they can revert, reverse the results of the presidential election. They actually thought about it, right? It's not executed, but they thought about it. Why they can thought, think about that? Why, who will provide that legal basis for them to do that? If they dare to do so, the Korematsu Court. Because the Korematsu Court says, well, as long as the president, the commander in chief, brought in a national security emergency, we must step aside saying, go ahead, dude, do whatever you need to do. So each of the political parties are abusing this deep state authority 
to achieve their political goals. The real tragedy is the regular people, like Professor Xi, who had nothing to do with the Chinese plan, uh, the plan of a Chinese government to invade the United States of America, shit like that. I'm pretty sure he, had, he has nothing to do with those. Like myself, you know, I've been here in the U.S. for 30 years. I love the country. I think it's the best choice I ever made for my life and for my children. End of the story. So, 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 so with that said, you know, just think about this again. When the deep state are the criminals, when the president, that being Trump, that being LBJ, that being Nixon, if the commander chief is violating the law in the name of a national security, what's your remedy? Right? I have only one hint, but that's not a very convincing example. This Taiwanese nuclear scientist, Wen Ho Li, this happened probably in the 1980s, that he, he did download nuclear material, uh, nuclear uh, research related information to his, uh, I think back then it's called a floppy disk, uh, you know, just like, a, like today's USB drive. And the national security state put him in solitary confinement charging him being a spy of China. He's originally from Taiwan. He did have a contact like a, during academic research exchange programs with, a con, uh, with contact with people in China. He visited China, he's from Taiwan. And he downloaded the nuclear research material. Uh, he's a home computer. So FBI running him up, just like what they did to Donald Trump, except they put Wen Ho Li into a solitary Confinement. Back then, the FBI's goal is this. We want him to admit that he was a spy for China. What happened to Wen Ho Li is that he just refused to admit he's a spy for China. He was not. It's a joke. So after two years of a solitary confinement, he has to be released for something. I think Wen Ho Li himself pled guilty of a less, much lesser charges. But he actually turned around to sue the FBI, the deep state. And he actually won $2 million, if I remember correctly. I can be wrong about this. This is the only known case that a victim of the deep state actually won some money. All the rest, they got no chance. So you think about Trump. Is there already, I call the irreversible harm on his reputation because of this raid, because, because of this unsealed affidavit saying he is in violation of the Espionage Act, meaning the commander in chief, the number one guy in law enforcement is actually a foreign spy. That's called reputational harm that you can never recover. That happened to MLK because the deep state can really get away from, from murder, almost, almost murder. 
So with that said, you know, I'm going to go back to this 9-11 thing. I'm, I'm going I'm to close, close out. And, you know, of course, I'm going to invite uh, whoever wants to comment about this. Hey, Greg, by the way, you know, I saw your comments, but I encourage you, I encourage you who disagree with me to jump on and uh, we'll be definitely can have a chat. Okay. So I conclude by this. Oh, by the way, there should be a remedy, which I'm going to go back. Uh, I'm going to discuss this on the late in the future episodes that when the deep state wrong you, when the FBI counterintelligence, these are not like a regular laws. These are like, a, if you're a pedophilia person and the FBI raided your house, well, the pedophilia is a freaking uh, crime and you, you deal, you know, you, you are done. But you are, if you are accused not being loyal to America, being a foreign spy, literally the government can get away. Right? So, so to me is this, I want to conclude by saying this. 9-11 is not the start of the deep state, but it did greatly under the president, uh, Republican president, greatly expanded the deep state. It's at the point of, they cannot be controlled by the civilian anymore. Remember I've said in a democracy, ultimately it's a civilian who command the military. But now do you feel that the, actually the deep state the military industrial complex is commanding the nation. They are in charge. So 9-11 really created this opportunity to, for the deep state to expand to a just uncontrollable scale. If you go to Washington, D.C., you see all those uh, nice buildings, construction, that's what, they're all governmental spend. Most of them are actually for the deep state. And today, the, the Bin Laden was killed already. Right? 9-11, in, in some sense, come to a closure because we did revenge. We got justice by killing Bin Laden. But what happened to the deep state? They keep growing. Isn't that right? Because when you build a democracy allowed by law and can get away from being a criminal, or, you know, violating law, interfere with the election. By the way, my next episode is about the FBI's disinformation board. They actually do have a disinformation board. So 9-11 literally created this opportunity. The second is this. I'm going to talk about, go to NATO. NATO is created to prevent Soviet Union. Right? It's another national state bureaucracy. In this sense, it's in Europe. But America, USA has a big, big hand in that. But the Soviet threat is long gone. But this national, uh, the, the, the administrative state of national security called NATO, still and expand. And I want to use an analogy with this, because I mean healthcare. In a human body, the good cells are those who, who was made, who will, which will grow, and eventually they will die. That's what a healthy cell in your body does. They have a life, limited lifespan. They have a term limits in a political term. They actually will go away. That's what the cells of a healthy person 
will do. What do we call those cells in your body that will grow and grow and grow forever and will never die? What do we call them? Do you know? Any guess? It's called cancer. Okay? So in your body, inside your body, if there were cells that keep growing and will never die, that's called cancer. You actually have to get a treatment for that. Otherwise, the cancer cell will grow forever until you got killed. I'm saying this because of the deep state in this country, you know, I'm saying this not because I'm with Trump or with the, uh, Hillary or whatever. I'm just saying as a people, as a civilian, we the people are supposed to be the highest authority above the deep state, but now it's the other way around. And the deep states just keep growing and growing and growing with no stop. So, 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 so with that, you know, I think I'm just going to invite uh, Amanda again in case she has something to say. And uh, but that's pretty much the episode I wanted to do uh, today. <laughs> yes, uh, this guy, Pasha. Yes, you like my analogy, right? Cancer, right? Just think about government as, you know, as our deep state is the cancer. Okay, I'm saying it's not because I'm for Trump. I'm not. I'm completely against Trump. Okay, I will do my best to make sure he's not the next president of the United States. I'll tell you that. But I will just say this. The way they did it to Mar-a-Lago is exactly what he did it to MLK, to Professor Xi, because the court in the 1944 already said in the Korematsu case that when the deep state treated a citizen of the United States as enemy combatant or Japanese spies, the deep state can lock them up without trial. So Trump, as far as the deep state is concerned, is an enemy spy, a combatant. Therefore, all the Russia gate, blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing. But I'm very glad this happened to him because this happened to Chinese Americans for the freaking longest time. Before Donald Trump, Obama, you know, like I said, Professor Xi was investigated under the Obama administration. Okay. So now that the due process, Amanda's asking, no, it's not a due process. Basically, the court says, if the deep state come to the court, say it's a national security emergency, we toss out due process. Uh, we know we are a judges. We know all the law, but you know, but, but we'll, we'll do that. So that is exactly, like I said again, you have a no remedy. By the way, all these uh, uh, Trump lawyers, uh, I remember Michael Cohen, uh, Trump's fixer, uh, was uh, on MSNBC. He has a, a lawsuit against uh, the FBI, a federal government. It's called, you know, like I said, that action is called the Bivens remedy. Bivens remedy is you sue a federal law enforcement agent for wrong he did it to you or she did to you for monetary damages. But like I said, in Professor Xi's case, whose experience is an exact match to the original Bivens 
case. The court said, no, what happened to you, Professor Xi, is different. You are being suspected as a, a spy for China. Therefore, there's no remedy for you. The consider this court is like the soup Nazi episode, the soup Nazi, you know, the soup Nazi can always find an excuse by your look, by somebody else, that they will say no soup for you. In the in Korimatsu case, they're just saying, sorry, no justice for you. So, so that is uh, what I want to talk about. Again, 9-11 brought me not just the memory of the Twin Tower falling. It's more of like how our enemies have changed fundamentally our democracy for our disadvantage. We fall into the trap of the deep state. We have given the deep state the unrestricted authority. So with that, I'm going to close out for today. Thank you all for joining. And uh, it's a very pleasant session. And I hope I'll see you again in the next episode. All right. Bye now.